You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Yeah. I, uh, I, I love our church. I'm just thankful to God for the work he's doing here. And we continue just to pray that we'll be found faithful in what he's entrusted us with here in Tallahassee. And we'll just keep moving the ball down the field. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm the pastor here at City Church. We're going through the book of Acts right now, just going verse by verse. We started uh, back in January in chapter 1, verse 1, and we're in chapter 10 today. We're going to be in the entire chapter. I need to read you the whole thing uh, to get the full story of what's happening here. Really a transition point, a breakthrough scripture in all the Bible. I'm excited to share it with our church here this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and, uh, and then we'll jump in. Our Father, we are grateful for your love for us. And that you have spoken to us through the scriptures. The way we know of your love for us is you've told us who you are and what you've done for your people. So we're thankful for Jesus, uh, that you loved us first. That the way we understand love is that Christ died as our substitute in our place to reconcile us to you. So we're thankful for the blood of Jesus and for the empty tomb, proving he was exactly the one that he claimed to be and that he has victory over death. We're grateful for the baptisms we witnessed this morning. We're just so thankful for that and for last week, the baptism Sunday. We just ask that these, all these who step in those waters will continue to live their lives following Jesus Christ, the one who loves them, the one who died for them. I ask if anyone in our church today who's hurting, uh, who's just really going through difficult times, Lord, I just ask that your peace will be upon them, uh, that they will, as my friend told me in the lobby, just run into the arms of Christ uh, during their hurt right now. Whatever it is that's happening, Lord, we just ask that you be with people in our church uh, who today's maybe not a great day, it hasn't been a great week, whatever it could be, let them look to our great God. I ask you to keep the enemy out of this place, out of our city, and that you be with all the pulpits in our city today. Let us all preach Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, and we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Acts chapter 10, and the book of Acts, I've been telling you in recent weeks, uh, really is the bridge between the first four books of the Bible that tell us the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the Gospels, and really the rest of the New Testament. And it shows us how the church went forward, how the church went out. Uh, There's a church planting organization where I have some friends, and the name of the group is Acts 29. And I love that name uh, because there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So the name Acts 29 comes from the continuation of that book, the continuation of that story. Like we here today, all who know Jesus, are recipients of Acts going forward, and it will keep going forward until Jesus returns, of the good news of Christ, his resurrection, being made known to all who will hear. So we're in Acts chapter 10, and it's really going to be a breakthrough in the New Testament, because we're going to see the gospel really truly go to the Gentiles. And we're going to read this chapter. So Acts chapter 10, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. So Cornelius in the Italian Regiment means he was probably really hairy and talked loud. Uh, that's just a thing. And I can say that because I'm Italian. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. As we saw last week, that was revolutionary, that Peter was with a tanner uh, due to his profession working with dead animals. This has been viewed as unclean. And also we see that he's on the sea, S-E-A, because that's telling us that this gospel is moving beyond the geographical boundaries. 
The good news is starting to go forward. So it's not a random detail that he was on the sea. It was showing us that this good news is going to keep going. When the angels who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat. While they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. I usually fall into a trance after I eat, so it's kind of interesting. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and birds of the sky. A voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. I'm a good Jew. I'm not going to do what we're prohibited from doing. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. Now, I don't want to read too much into this. It's not my job to do that, but I, I think I see something here, and that is that here is Peter who denied Jesus three times earlier, and God restored him and forgave him, and now three different times he has to tell them to go do this, and maybe it's God's way of saying, hey, I've delivered you before, you can trust me, go and do as I say. While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, right away the men who, stood, who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men and said, here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, which this is revolutionary, going to a Gentile's home, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people, and Peter said to them, you know, it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came out without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then a man in dazzling, dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who's also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon in the tanner's house by the sea. So I immediately sent for you, and it was good for you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. We're almost done. Peter began to speak. Now, I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. 
You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John preached? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with him? We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did, both in the Judean country and in Jerusalem. And yet, they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen. Not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. They had heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to stay for a few days. Whew. What a story. And what's happening here? There was a lot. Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins could be a reality for God's people. He also died to break the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. See, the human race is no longer divided because of this between Jew and Gentile, but now between what theologians would call the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The seed of the woman meaning when Adam and Eve sinned, when God restored them and offered them forgiveness, he made a promise that from Eve's seed, from the womb of the woman, that would one day come one who would deliver people from their sins. That wound up being a long lineage that led to Jesus Christ being the one that was promised in the Garden of Eden. So the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, which is the devil, in other words, now the distinction is between darkness and light. As Peter would say in his epistle, those who have received mercy and those who have not received mercy. That is now the dividing line. And by dividing line, I don't mean in a divisive way. I mean that is what separates people. Like those are the categories of people in God's eyes. Those who have received mercy and those who have not received mercy. Those are of the seed of Eve, those who are of the seed of the serpent. And it's important to note here that Peter is not claiming that it is by Cornelius' good deeds and right actions that he has earned his way into the people of God. It is not through being an upright and devout man that even helps out the Jewish people as a Gentile man that is getting him into heaven when he dies. It's not what is allowing him to receive the forgiveness of sins. This entire event is happening here instead to show us that a Gentile, like Cornelius, did not have to become a Jew in order to have a right relationship with God. He does not have to become Jewish in order to have a right relationship with God. We see a missionary focus here. In chapter 11, when Peter tells the story of what happened in chapter 10, he says this, he will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved. So ultimately, Peter is going to, and Cornelius are going to meet so Peter can share the gospel with him. See, it was necessary for Peter to leave his home, to travel more than 30 miles 
to deliver this message, this good news, because Scripture suggests unless Cornelius receives it, even though he comes across as a very devout and spiritual person, this individual will not be saved from his sins apart from faith in Jesus Christ. It's really important for us in the geographical south to understand this. Knowledge of God is not enough for salvation. Knowledge of God is incomplete. Because knowledge or ritual or tradition or heritage or morality, all those are good things. None of those actually forgive sin. Like God is not going to ask you if you were Catholic or not. God is not going to ask you if you went to the Baptist church downtown in your small county seat in whatever state. He's not going to ask you about your grandmother. We stand before God forgiven if we stand before God covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that comes through faith and is available to all who will come and believe. Knowledge is not enough for salvation. One must trust in Jesus. And this is the message Cornelius is hearing and receiving. And it's important to know also that the gospel message here is not moving away from God's people, being the Jews. It's showing who can be part of God's people. That it's not going to come through ethnicity, it's going to actually come through the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's not abandoned the Jews. This is not some kind of anti-Semitic idea here. He has given the Jews everything he promised them, which was the Messiah, And thankfully, many Jews believed and received Christ, but many did not. So their problem is not that they're Jewish, it's that they rejected Jesus. And that's the story for all of us. Either we trust in Christ or we don't. Don Carson, who's a seminary professor, wrote this, that when Peter preaches to Cornelius and his household, the climax of his moving address is, is, in fulfillment of Scripture, that God has appointed Jesus as judge of the living and the dead, and not only of Jews. Those who believe in him receive forgiveness and of sins through his name. And he adds this, transparently, that's what's essential if we're to face the judge and emerge unscathed. We must have a forgiveness of sins. And we're told that with shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thankfully, there has been a shedding of blood, and his name is Jesus. So that forgiveness is available to all of us. It might sound a little harsh at first. You might go, well, just there, there's, fat, there's one way, and that just seems so backwards. And, and I would say what would be harsh is if there was a way, and we didn't tell you about it. I mean, here is God clearly saying, I am my love and providing for you a way to be reconciled to me. Harsh would be if you had the cure to something available to you and either didn't tell anyone about it or held it over their head and said, here it is and you can't have it. That's not what's happening here. God is offering people life through Jesus Christ and putting this message right in front of the people to receive. See, it's because of Jesus that if Cornelius actually is in Christ, that he will be clean before God and also complete before God. It's not through becoming Jewish. It's through trusting in Christ Because in the kingdom of God, and this is so contrary to 2023, and I just am going to say it anyways, because we need to be Bible people, and it's amazing how far we have come from the basic scriptures about this. In the kingdom of God, ethnicity does not mean very much. It just doesn't. In America today, it's like the air people breathe. It's like everything. 
know what means a lot to God? Unity. Unity is what matters to God. What matters to God ultimately is not if a church is 10% this, 10% that, 10% this, 10% that. What matters to God in the scriptures is if that church is in Christ and is unified together and with other Christians regardless of all the other things. All his life, Peter's culture had told him that Gentiles themselves and their homes and their communities are unclean. You avoid that. To put it in second grade elementary school playground language, he'd been told his whole life that Gentiles had cooties. And there's really a, an amazing way that the Lord has provided to avoid cooties. And that is you get the cootie shot. So I don't know if you remember this or not, when you were a kid, it was circle, circle, dot, dot, now I had the cootie shot. And let me tell you what, there's no controversy over getting that vaccine or not getting that vaccine. If you're going to survive in the playgrounds of Gilchrist Elementary, the mean streets of Timberline, let me tell you what, you better have the cootie shot. But there wasn't any type of vaccination to keep you clean from the Gentiles in the eyes of the Jews. The way you did that was by avoiding them all together. Completely all together. Tom Schreiner, or Patrick Schreiner, Tom Schreiner's son, Patrick Schreiner wrote this about Cornelius and Peter meeting. He called it the meeting of souls. That the Spirit is in the business of bringing together those who would usually not associate. As the old order approaches on foot, the new order drops from the sky. Ray Ortland adds this, the gospel of grace is greater than all our culture. It's greater than all, than all of our sin. Freed Peter, that gospel, as it frees us to meet everyone with new openness. And what's the new openness? We believe that all people are made in the image of God, and all people need to hear the gospel. There are Christians who have gathered all over the world today. Time zone's already ahead of ours, already having dinner in some countries. They've gathered all over the world. We do not have language in common with them. A lot of those believers across the world, if we lined up all the things we have in common, it's not income. It's definitely not food. Because everyone kind of has their own cuisine. You know what? Everyone doesn't look alike. You know what unites them all? And all of us as family? It's Jesus. And that is a message of unity from the scriptures. It's not you be more like this. It's pointing you to Christ as the great unifier because peace comes through Jesus. Peace with God and peace with each other. So how can Gentiles be included into God's people without food laws would have been the question. They would have said, how is this possible? There have been a lot of yeah buts taking place. Because God has cleansed the nations with the blood of his son. That's what he has done. And Peter doesn't understand everything but he's called to obey even in his confusion because God has given him a clear word. I jotted down in my notes that he's kind of like the anti-Jonah. Now Jonah learned eventually, but Jonah was called to go to Nineveh to preach to a people who were not his own in his eyes, and he resisted it. He didn't want to be with those people. He saw them as unclean, saw them as getting what they deserved, God's punishment for their sin. But God called him to go there and knock down those barriers, and he refused at first. So here's Peter, who has listened and obeyed God and has gone forward. Because again, him entering a Gentile house is revolutionary. 
It's important we don't take this too far in terms of the implications, though. We want to be faithful to the scriptures here. The Gentile-Jew conversation is, it does not parallel to black and white or Hispanic and Asian or, or anything like that because that would mean that one of those ethnicities is the Jews in this story, like is the people of God, where the only people who have claim to be the people of God are the people who know Jesus, which is every person in this room, Tallahassee, and across the world. So that parallel, people try to force it sometimes, it's not there. But the principles are there for what it looks like for us to continuously say it's Jesus over everything else. Like he is more important than everything else. Like no one has the claim on anything except for Christ. We've seen a conversion of a Gentile with the Ethiopian eunuch. An Ethiopian, what's he called? What's his category? He's a Gentile. And now we're seeing the Jewish Christians can accept Gentiles as Gentiles and into the family of God. We see in verse 36, he sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, that he is Lord of all. And that's the message. Verse 44, we see a type of Gentile Pentecost take place. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. Because now the Spirit's being given to the Gentiles. Now they're part of the people of God. So what would the Jewish people be during this moment? They'd be reluctant. What? Gentiles are like with us, they're on our team. They don't have to become Jewish, they don't have to get circumcised, they don't have to do food laws. Like what's going on, I'm not really, it sounds good, makes for a nice story, like documentary, I'm not buying it. Which is why the signs we see through the Holy Spirit come into play. They come into play to validate the message to these skeptical Jews who weren't fully buying it. They validate the fact that this is indeed of God and these people are coming to faith in Christ. And what's the response? Peter, who fully got it now, he says in verse 46, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit? And these are important words, just as we have. Like they're not sort of Christian and we're really Christian, like we're all the same in Christ. Peter's saying, fill the tank. Let's go. People know Jesus. Let's, let's profess now. Let them profess publicly their faith in Christ. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay for a few days, which is a sign of hospitality, showing these walls have been torn down. That God has done a miraculous work allowing people to have peace with him, but also peace amongst each other. So there's two things that have been shattered here. One is religious barriers. That it's not Jesus plus something else in order to be saved. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's all of God. Maybe some of you have been turned off by church before or faith or religion because maybe without realizing it, you were part of an environment where it was always Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus you gotta do this. You gotta make sure you, you know, are in line with this, that you fake this, like, like whatever it could be. And then adding all these layers to the faith when that's just fundamentalism. I want to avoid two traps if we're going to be faithful believers in the, in the scriptures. The first one is just progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity, which I say grows social media platforms but shrinks churches. And that are people that take things away from the Bible that are there they don't like or explain them away. That's what progressive Christianity does. If you don't like what the Bible teaches about gender, let's just pretend it's not there. Then there's something I think is just as problematic which is fundamentalism. And why would I say it's just as, funda- just as problematic? 
well, it might not be condoning sin like progressive Christianity does, but you know what it is doing? It's adding things to the Bible. It's hurting the gospel. It's saying the gospel of Jesus Christ is not sufficient. You still have to be circumcised. You still have to do these things. You're never allowed again to, whatever it could be, things that aren't found in the scriptures but are simply from culture and forced into these things. So I want to avoid both traps. Why? Because both traps equally do things to the scriptures other than holding to their sufficiency. We want people who instead are evangelicals. And by that it means we believe in the evangel, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we let the Bible be the Bible. Because we know we're not the ones who wrote it. And we submit our lives under his lordship because we believe he is the one true God. So religious barriers shattered. You see that since day one we started this church. Religious barriers just shattered for people. People who may have been in church their entire life and never really heard about grace before. They just kind of felt guilt and shame and condemnation and judgment. It's like, whoa, this is the story of God's grace. The story of what God has done for us. The story of God's love that now we should love him because he loves us. Not to earn his favor, but because he has it. We've also seen people that have come out of a progressive Christianity. They just kind of thought you can do whatever you want to do with the Bible and as long as we're all sincere and all love each other and all these type of ideas rather than submitting themselves to what God has designed and what God has willed. And we're going to keep going forward by avoiding those two trappings. And then there's ethnic barriers that are shattered. He's saying, don't you dare, God says, don't you dare call unclean what God has declared to be clean. And how are you declared clean? You're declared clean through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not Jew and Gentile anymore, it's darkness and light. So our categories now are spiritual categories, they're not ethnic categories. Now I want to make sure I'm clear, I'm well aware that while ethnicity is not everything in the eyes of God or even close to it, I'm well aware that there's still major issues in America when it comes to it. Because America is not Jesus and we're in a sinful place. So in my saying that we should point to Jesus and not uh, allow ethnicity to be a thing, I am not saying there aren't major issues in this country that still must be addressed. What I'm saying is we have the greatest tool to address it, and that is the one who brings peace amongst all people and justice, and his name is Jesus. The work continues for us. Acts 29 continues to go into play, which is shattering barriers of religion, shattering it, and shattering barriers of who's on the team and who's not. And we need to be people who are diligent about this and don't get caught up in the cultural narratives. But instead, continue to preach Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, and be unashamed of that gospel. It's never going to make sense to the world. The Bible tells us itself it's foolishness to those who don't know Jesus. And theologically, they can't understand it. We're told you can't understand this book unless the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to do so. So we're not expecting people who aren't Christians to act like they are. We are Christians and aren't very good at acting like we are. So why do we expect someone who's not a believer to act like they're a believer? Instead, we're pointing people to the one who does make all things new, who does knock down dividing lines. And we have to make sure that we continue to contend for the faith because there's going to be every temptation imaginable to go this way, to go that way, to go this way. Stay focused. Stay keeping it about Christ, keeping it about reconciliation with God being the greatest concern of all humanity and also peace with each other. In other words, we just need to make sure that because God loves us, that we're living our lives to love God and love our neighbors. To love God and love our neighbors. And if we do those things, I think we're going to be people who are in step with what God has for us as the people that he has made for himself. So what an amazing story. Acts chapter 10. Like opening the door, like opening the gate 
for this gospel to go forward to all the world, shocking the Jews and also shocking the Gentiles like me. The Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, she looks at Jesus and she says, whoa, 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 why are you talking to me? Why? Because Jesus loves all people who are far from him. He's the great reconciler. That means that's true for you, and that's true for all who will one day come to hear. So my encouragement to all of us is to, one, be confident in who you are in Christ. Remind yourself over and over again that your standing before God is based on Jesus and that alone. And let that truth be what compels you to want to live your life for Christ. Not to get better status with God, but because you have great status with God, because Jesus is the one who stands in your place. We are the righteousness of Christ. We possess that as Christians. Now let's go and live that and take it seriously the gospel to go to the world. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful for the truth of the scriptures that runs so, run so contrary and counterculture to the world we're in right now. We know you have us in this world, not to be removed from it, but to live our lives in it as sojourners and strangers. So I'm thankful that you call us to unity and that we can have that with even people we don't know because unity has an object and that is you. So forgive us when we settle for lesser unities rather than the name that is above every name. So I ask we'll be bold in our belief about Christ, compassionate towards those who don't know Jesus, and that any barrier that stands in the way in our community of people coming to Christ will be torn down. That we'll avoid the pitfalls that are so tempting to jump into a fundamentalism or progressive Christianity, but instead we'll be evangelical, Bible-believing Christians. And then we'll define that term by you and your word, not the categories the world wants to put in addition to that. We're thankful for the blood of Jesus, for the empty tomb, for the ascension, and one day he's coming again to make all things new. So in the meantime, let us be about peace with you and peace with others. We're thankful the gospel and the Great Commission is that big. Thank you for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand up and sing some good news together.